Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel, the second chapter, as we prepare to go further in the things that we've been talking about. 1 Samuel, chapter 2. In 1 Samuel, the second chapter, and you might want to just stick a you know, a piece of paper, a marker, or something here in Samuel, because we're going to be coming back here in this vicinity of the Bible. But in First uh, Samuel, the second chapter, the Lord made a statement. And when he says something, it's forever. And when he says something, it is full of power and full of life. And it is faithful and true. First Samuel 2.30 the Lord said, Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. We've been talking about the honor of God. What a wonderful, magnificent subject the honor of God is. How wonderful He is. He is honor personified. And if you would walk with Him, if you'd be used of Him, you must learn about honor. And honor is not just something that you come into the world knowing about. It's God's plan that we learn about honor from the time that we open our eyes in this world and that our, we see it in our parents and we see it in our clergy and we see it in our leaders and so by the time that we're adults, honor should have been ingrained in us from numerous uh, sources and avenues. But the sad reality is that we live in a generation that knows precious little about honor. I mean, in many cases, from the top on down. Many people, just, they, they don't know much about honor because many people don't know much about God. I'll grant you this. You show me somebody who knows something about God, I'll show you somebody who's touched his honor and touched his glory and it left a lasting impression on their spirit. You cannot be in the presence of God and be close to God without being imprinted by his glory. Amen. Which is his honor. Basically saying the same thing. You'll find that in the, in the word, the word glory and the word honor actually have very similar meanings. You know, the word glory, uh, you know, different different words you could look up, but basically has the connotation of heavy, and the word uh, honor has the idea of weighty. And so you can see that they're similar. And honor has to do with knowing what's valuable, knowing what is precious, and then knowing what is not. In Luke 16, the Lord Jesus said that the things that are, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, that are held in high esteem by man, are greatly regarded by man, uh, many of those things are had in abomination of God. His value system is different from the value system of the common man in the world. And you have to get into the Word to see what God holds valuable and dear and precious. And if God says it's precious, then whether you thought so or not, just make an adjustment instantly and go, yep, it's got to be precious. If God says it's valuable, He knows. We've been talking about how to show honor. And it is so important to know how to show honor to one another. 
The Bible says in Romans 13, 7, Render to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The NIV says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. If you owe money, you should pay it. Well, if you owe honor, you should show it. But do, do we know how? Like I said, many have grown up in situations where they weren't taught properly about honor and how to show it. But the Word has a lot to say on the subject. So we've been talking about exactly how to show honor. And if you don't know how to show honor to man, like I said, you don't know how to show honor to God. The Scripture also says to honor all men. That's everybody. Not just, just your leadership, but everybody. Honor all men. So briefly I want to review, but then go on to some other things. And I want you to just really, you know, I know you're already stirred up and ready, but just, uh, uh, you know, many times in the Word it says, Him that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Just because a person is present doesn't mean they hear. Right? Just because it bounces off the eardrum doesn't mean you hear. But him that has an ear spiritually to hear. The first thing that we talked about in how to show honor is how you refer to people and God and his things. How you refer to. We talked about how inappropriate it is for, you know, uh, people to refer to each other in common and base terms. You know, people talking about their elders as the old man. Uh, husbands talking about their wives as my old lady. Uh, you know, children calling their parents by their first name. And just any number of things. It shows that you don't understand honor. How you refer to people and how you refer to things makes, uh, you know, reveals whether you understand honor or not. And we need to watch our mouth. You know, if you, if you check your heart, there'll be times that you'll say something and you, you can just tell, I didn't say that right. I, uh, I, I, ref I referred to them too commonly. I used too lowly of a term. That's not appropriate. And if you do, correct yourself right in the middle of it. Say, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, this is what I meant. And uh, practice honor in your mouth with each other. Amen? On a daily basis. Now, one thing that I didn't talk about that I think we should, go, you're here in 1 Samuel, I suppose, still. Go to the 17th uh, chapter, and let me show you something that uh, maybe like me, you, I didn't see this for a, a long time. In fact, I used to read this, and I'd scratch my head and think, well, now, why does that say that? And then the more I got to studying on honor, I saw a whole avenue here that I hadn't seen before. One aspect of honor, like we said, is how you refer to people. And uh, another way of saying this is how you identify them. If you do it in a valuable way or in a base, insignificant way. In 1 Samuel 17, you know what this chapter is about if you know much about your Bible. Uh, this is the passage in which David, by the help of God, slays uh, Goliath, the Philistine giant. And, you know, this whole episode is, was over honor, 
don't know if you realize that or not. But uh, this Philistine, Goliath, you know, would march out in front of the armies of Israel and he would openly defy their God. Remember that? And blaspheme and speak derogatorily of their God and challenge them. Challenge them. And because of his size and because of his, you know, fearsomeness, the men of Israel, even the strong warriors, were afraid and would hid, and nobody accepted the challenge. Well, David's just a youth. He's not a warrior. He's been out with his father's sheep, but he has learned some things about faith. He's been out there playing his, his instrument and singing psalms to God and watching for the sheep. And he's had to deal with the wild beasts that would come to, to take, a, take away the sheep. And he's learned faith. And he's learned that God will protect you. He's learned it's not all about size because God is with you. And he heard this Philistine talking. And it, it made him indignant to the core. Because David, even from the youth, it's obvious, he knows something about the honor of God. And he's jealous for the honor of God. He's jealous for the glory of God. You know, you see one of the strongest demonstrations of our Master, the Lord Jesus, concerning the honor of the Father and of His house. Remember that? He went in the temple on one occasion, and they were in there selling and buying and, and turned the place into just a, uh, you know, a marketplace. And I mean, it went all over Him. Why? What about it? They are dishonoring the Father. They're dishonoring what He stands for and what He is. I mean, he grabbed the tables, he flung them, he picked up a whip. Why? You know, the, the zeal of the Lord provoked him. Why? It, it, they're dishonoring the Father. This is a holy place, a place of prayer, a place of the presence of God, and they're in here hawking their merchandise. See, why were they doing that? They didn't understand honor. Well, see, David came out there. He heard Goliath talking about this thing. And he looked around and he said, Is somebody going to shut this guy up? How dare you? You big bag of wind standing up there and blaspheme Jehovah? I mean, the honor of God in him just stirred and he just couldn't stand it. And they said, Well, you, you heard, you know, the man that kills this brute he gets to marry the king's daughter and his family will be free from taxes he said tell me that again <laughs> man that kills this brute he gets to uh, be you know marry the king's daughter and he says i'll go fight him what was it that provoked the honor he thought, I mean, see, David thought, nobody but nobody stands out there and blasphemes Jehovah. Nobody. Nobody. If I have to shut him up myself, I will. Amen. Amen. And that's what he did. He didn't go out there to fight Goliath for his honor. If he had, he'd have been defeated. John 7 says, he that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. But that's not what he did when he went out, did he? He came out, he said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts that you defied, you big windbag. 
You just watch. He will deliver you into my hand. See, see, David knew God's honor was on the line here. And he knew there's no way God's going to stand by and let his honor be defiled if somebody will have the faith and courage to stand up for it. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, in our society today, no matter how many big giant windbags stand up and talk ill of our God, if some of us will stand up, amen, and speak for the honor of God, he'll back us. Amen. How many times did the Bible talk about the Lord and His concern for His great name? Right? His great name. That's what Moses used in his intercession to spare the Israelites. Isn't it? I mean, there are more than once. When, when the Lord told Moses, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Just stand back. I'll destroy these folk and make of you a great nation. And the Lord said, yeah, yeah but... What about your great name? What about your honor? And he would appeal to him on that basis. Well, here in this situation, after David had slain Goliath, I want you to notice something that happened. Get this picture in your mind. I mean, not only did uh, he kill Goliath, but he had told him and prophesied that he was going to kill a whole bunch. And surely, just as soon as he had gotten, you know, they, uh, Goliath down, I mean, all the soldiers were encouraged. And man, they all ran after the Philistines, and there was a great slaughter among the Philistines that day. And verse 53 of 1 Samuel 17, the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. And when David saw, Saul saw David rather go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the, son, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I cannot tell. The king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And let's just stop right here. I don't know how well versed you are with this, but uh, David is not a stranger to Saul. All you got to do is go back a chapter or two. And you see in the 16th chapter that Saul sent to Jesse specifically and asked Jesse to let David come and stay with him. And remember, he'd play the harp when the evil spirit had come on him. Every time I'd read that, I'd think, huh? I mean, why is Saul saying, whose boy is this? And finally, I saw it. It has to do with honor. I said it has to do with honor and identification. And in, and in the ancient world, you know, a man's honor was not just primarily for himself, but for his father and his father's house. If you did an exploit, it wasn't just you they talked about, it was whose son is he? And how many times have you looked in the scripture, the son of so-and-so? I mean, it always adds that. Somebody did a great exploit. Who was it? It was so-and-so. What? The son of so-and-so. And he's standing out there with this big giant's head in his hand. I mean, this is a glorious day. I mean, in those days, I mean, what papa wouldn't be proud of this boy today? Right? And so he says, whose boy is this? 
They inquire and they ask. Verse 58, it says again, he, you know, verse 57, David returned from the slaughter. Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. This is to the king in front of all the people. And Saul said, whose son are you, you young man? Get the picture. David stands up. He's he got this giant's head in his hand. He says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He says, what's the big deal about that? Because that's what we're all about, my friend. When anything great and grand happens through us, that's when you and I are going to stand. Who is it? I am the son of Jehovah God. I'm the son of the Almighty. Why? The glory goes to Him. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have a daddy. (laughs) Could be no exploits. And with our Father God, certainly you could have no exploits. He's the one who sustains us and gives our breath. You know, you see another example of this back over in Genesis. You don't necessarily have to turn there. Well, maybe you should. Genesis 39. Maybe you should. No, no, let's see. 48. Genesis 48. There is something in, in 39 there, but that's, that's not it. Genesis 48. You see a very similar situation here. When Jacob was at the end of his life, he was older. And the Bible said that uh, in chapter 48 of Genesis, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, your father's sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so they came, one told Jacob and said, Behold, your son Joseph comes to you, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a multitude of people. I'll give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And your issue which you beget after them will be yours." And be called after the name of your brethren in their inheritance. Now notice in verse 8, after he got through saying this, now, now think about what he just did. He said, these two boys of yours are no longer yours. They are mine. Well, that's it. <laughs> Get the whole picture now. That There's honor all through this. They come in and he's older and he's weak. But he strengthened himself. He sat up in the bed with dignity. And then he looks at them in verse 8, and he beheld Joseph's sons, and he said, Who are these? Now he just got through saying, verse 5, Your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Who are these? See, Joseph gets now to testify about the goodness of God. It's an opportunity. Who are these boys? Joseph said, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. He said, bring them, I pray thee, to me, and I'll bless them. And you remember the story, how that he crossed his hands. And the the firstborn was supposed to get the first blessing, but he he switched it. And Joseph tried to say, no, no, Father, it's, it's the other way around. He said, no, I know, but this is the way it'll be. And then after that, the Bible said in verse chapter 49... Chapter 49, 
Jacob said to all his sons, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. And on his bed, he spoke to them by the Spirit of God, prophesied to them about the future of their families and their tribes. On and on it went. And in verse 33, verse 33, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, Genesis 49:33, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered to his people. Now that's the way to go. With honor. I said with honor. With dignity. Hallelujah. All of his seed around him, speaking by the anointing, by the Spirit of God. When he got through, he said, well, that's it. Took a deep breath, expired. Then all of his family honored him with a big funeral. Hallelujah. Boy, that sure beats 12 tubes and being delirious from drugs and every other thing you can think of. I like what the prophet said. He said, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Praise God. There's a right way to go and there's a wrong way to go. This is right. So can you see with identity, you know, how you refer to people? You know, it's interesting to me that the writer of the gospel account of John, the Apostle John, he's the one that penned this by the Holy Ghost upon him. But he never refers to himself, you know, or just calls himself by his name in there. He says, the disciple whom the Lord loves. Identification. And so how you refer to yourself, how you refer to others, how you refer to your seed, all of these things reveal whether you know anything about honor much or not. And we can grow in these things, can't we? We can grow and develop. But watch your mouth. Let honor be in your mouth. Toward yourself, how do you refer to yourself? Don't no, no, ever refer to yourself as base, as stupid, as common. Ever. Value yourself. Refer to yourself as somebody. You know, it said that... Uh, uh, John Lake used to look sometimes, said he was fond of nice clothes. And sometimes he'd have a nice suit on and he'd look in the mirror and he'd say, God's in that man, in that nice suit of clothes. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, sometimes people think that, you know, unless that, that humility is self-degradation, devaluing of yourself. Nothing could be further from the truth. You must see value in yourself if you're going to properly treat other people valuable. We talked about from Leviticus 19.32 that the scripture says, You shall rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. Your body language, how you act, your demeanor, bespeaks and expresses either honor or dishonor. And to defer means to yield to, to give place to. Uh, when you, you know, we all are equally loved and blessed in the body of Christ, but we do not all have the same rank or the same place. The differences of rank. And we are to always defer to the higher anointing. Always defer to the higher place. 
And that includes specifically how you're speaking. We said uh, one of the most dishonorable things you can do is to interrupt someone of a greater rank than you. And if you've got a habit of interrupting people, break it. It's dishonorable. The Bible says honor all men. And so we ought to defer. We talked about that. A third thing is that we, how do you show honor? You prefer. Prefer. The Bible says be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Preferring one another. You know, give, Jesus talked about the high seat and the low seat. Uh, give the person the better opportunity. Give them the better stake. Give them the better seat. Give them the better position in the line, whatever. You know, I know some in times past we uh, stand in line for seats, uh, for conferences and what have you a lot of times. I mean, uh, any, any of you ever stood in lines for a long time? Oh, yeah. And sometimes somebody come along. You have, you have a pretty good seat, you know, and somebody come along that ought to be there besides you. Well, it checks you out, doesn't it? How do you prefer? By giving somebody the better. Esteeming others better than yourself. Treating them better than you treat yourself at that particular time. That is honoring and honorable. This last one, this fourth one that we are getting to now, that's just reviewing for those of you that weren't with us, has to do with conferring. We talked about reference, deference, Preference and now conference, conferring things upon. Why don't you go with me to Malachi, the first chapter, and let's talk about this. You show honor through conference, what you confer upon. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, Malachi 1.6, the Lord is speaking. Malachi 1.6, and he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And you say, where, where have we despised your name? Let's just stop right there. We talked about earlier that the word despise has a broader meaning than what we use in our modern usage. When we say despise, we think you're just disgusted with it. You speak very scornfully of it, and that would be true. But in the Bible sense, you'll find that to despise can mean just simply not to acknowledge if you don't acknowledge the value of something, if you just don't notice it and treat it as insignificant, that is despising in Bible language. And so when the Lord says to them, you know, you've despised my name, their immediate response is, how did we despise your name? What do you mean? Verse 7, he says, you offer polluted bread on my altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted you? in that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible, and you offer the blind for sacrifice. Is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? 
God says, you, you're coming in here offering me your junk, your refuse, the prime animals you keep for yourself. You bring me the one that's sick that was going to die anyway. You bring me the one after the lion got through chewing on. He said, won't you give him to your governor, see if he likes lion-chewed lamb. Won't you give him to your governor? See if he likes diseased cow. How many understand you do not give God the rest. You give him the best. Right? And in doing so, you honor him. Pastor George read and, and quoted uh, Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord, honor the Lord with your substance and with what? The first fruits. Of your increase. See, the first, and the implication there is not just the first, but the first and the best. The first caliber, as well as the first that came in. He said, you, you, you've despised me. You, you've given me junk. You know, you can tell a lot about a people's spirituality by their offerings. You can. I'm glad to... Pastor Doherty took up the offering. <laughs> so you won't think that I'm saying something for ulterior motives here. And I appreciate everything you've sown to us. And we believe with you for a quick return. Multiplied harvest. You believe in that, aren't you? Amen. Amen. We're, I'm believing it. Amen. I believe everybody that sows to me gets a quick harvest and a multiplied harvest. Won't have it any other way. But, uh, you know, you can tell about the spiritual condition of the church or of the people. You can tell so much by it and how much they honor God by how they look at their offerings. He goes into talking further here. He says, I pray you, you know, beseech God that he'll be gracious to us, they say. This has been by your means. Will he regard your person, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. I've no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Let me just keep reading. For the rising of the sun, even the going down of the same, my name will be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering. My name will be great among the heathen, says the Lord of hosts. But you've profaned it, in that you say, The table of the Lord's polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. Weariness. And you've snuffed at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, says the Lord? Do you know the Lord does not receive all offerings? There are people that even put things in the plate, even give things to people, but the Lord did not receive it. He does not receive all offerings. You can see it very obvious right here, and it's, it's in other places. Go back to the story of Cain and Abel and their offerings. Right? The Bible said, you know, that the Lord had respect unto what Abel's offering. But Cain, he didn't respect his offering. In other words, he didn't, he didn't accept it. He didn't receive it. And one of the key notes that you'll see is that Abel brought of the first and of the fat thereof. He brought the best. 
Why? He wanted to honor God. How do you honor God? With your best. Right? Cain just brought something. And brought of his vegetables and what have you. I know there's other things involved there, but I'm just, just look at the language that it says. Abel brought of the, the, the bat, the best, you know. This is the one that he liked. This was his, some of his breeding stock. This is, you know, the show sheep. I know mean, what I'm talking about. The one with the ribbon on it. Fluffy. <laughs> and the Bible did not say that God spoke and said, Yay, give Fluffy. <laughs> no, no. How many remember what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians? He talks about, as a man purposes in his heart. See, God has given us the opportunity to demonstrate our honor for him in us making the choice. He looked over his flock, and there's not a better one in there than Fluffy. So he says, I'm going to give God, I'm going to give Fluffy to God. I'm going to do it. Why? It's my best. It's my best seed. See, God doesn't look at figures. God is not impressed even by large figures. Is he? Can you write a big check and give it and God go, whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of money. We know God is not impressed by amounts because of what he said about the widow's two mites. Right? He was more impressed with her offering than the others that had much and gave much. Why? Because that's her best, that's her all. She's honoring God, isn't she? No, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? And it's, it's, what you, it's how you bring it. And it's not just, you know, how valuable the gift is, but it's how valuable it is to you. Can you see that? If it's not valuable to you, then God won't see it as valuable. I don't care if it has a market value that's extremely high. It's all about the heart. God sees through all the junk and sees the heart. And there's people that buck and fuss and carry on about money and about preachers that talk about offerings and about, you know, giving and about these things. But I'm telling you, it's in the Bible. It's in the book. God has emphasized it. Hasn't he? And it is a tangible way that we can demonstrate to God that we respect Him. Isn't it? Tangible, physical way. And the thing about it, like we said, it's not according to amount. All the way from the poorest to the richest can do the same demonstration. What you have might not be that valuable to somebody else, but if it's valuable to you, God knows it. Amen? And if you bring it in honor and offer it in honor from your heart, God accepts it like it's pure gold. Can you say amen? amen? You know, you think about the story of the woman that came with that alabaster box of ointment. Remember? Lazarus had been raised from the dead and his sister had this and she's so thankful. 
that her brother's not dead. They're all sitting there in their house having a meal. Glory to God. Her brother was in the ground. He was dead and buried. He's sitting up there laughing, smiling next to Jesus. She has something that's probably no problem about it. The most precious and valuable thing she has personally. It's called the alabaster box of ointment. And it was very precious. If you look, look up the figures, it, depending on what you measure it by, it probably was worth somewhere around eight, ten, twelve thousand $12,000. She takes it, and she bows and comes up and dumps it, all of it, on his feet. Twelve grand, just like that. And, you know, he's going to smell good for a while, but then after that, And, and listen to this. His own staff, who's been with him for this time and should have learned some things about honor, but they can't even see what's going on here. They, they begin to say, Oh, what a waste. What a waste. Judas Iscariot pipes up and says, This could have been sold for, you know, $12,000. And we could have given it to the poor. And the Bible said, this said he, because he bare the bag. He kept the bag. And one translation said, and pilfered what was in it. One said, helped himself to what was in it. He's talking about supporting the poor. Giving to the poor. And what, notice what Jesus said. Jesus was displeased with them. He looked at him. He said, you let her alone. I mean, I'm sure he was displeased with them that they didn't even know what's going on here. The woman is honoring him. He said, she's prepared this against the, against the day of my burial. You leave her alone. The poor you'll always have with you. You want to do something for the poor? Do it tomorrow. People act like you have to do one or the other. That you can't bless a person of God, and minister to the poor. Oh, yes, you can. You can do both. <laughs> Can't you? Yeah. I said, dear Lord, you know, giving, giving somebody a $10,000 watch, giving somebody this, giving some, I mean, they can't stand. See, these people not only lack faith, they don't understand honor. Jesus didn't rebuke her. He didn't jump up and say, this is wasteful. Haven't I taught you all about stewardship? That's not how he is. He received it. And he received what she was endeavoring to do. And notice what, the, what our text said. Those that honor me, what? And what did he say? He said, you leave her alone. She's done a good thing. And I'm also going to see to it that everywhere this gospel is preached, she is mentioned specifically at what she did. She's honored every time you read your Bible. Oh, are we seeing this? Are we getting this? Thanks be unto God that He is who He is. He is what He is. And we live in a world full of demons and crazy people. 
We live in a world that, are, that feeds on vileness and baseness. And man, you've got to watch about all the secular media and TV and stuff and feeding on that because it comes from many times base minds and it's base thinking and it's defiling. And if you feed on it and feed on it and think, you start acting that way yourself. Oh, but if you'll feed on this and feed on this, your thoughts will be raised up higher like his thoughts. You'll see, you'll think differently. You'll perceive differently. Hallelujah. Go with me back to 2 Samuel and the 23rd chapter. Why are you doing that? I'm going to talk to you about something else. How many remember the prophet Elisha and the woman of Shunem? You remember that? Boy, what a tremendous story of honor that is. What did the Lord say? Those that honor me, I will honor. <clears throat> this woman, the Bible said, without turning and reading all of it, was a, a wealthy woman and a notable woman. And you know, it's interesting that honor recognizes honor. And that honor draws honor. Honor calls to honor. I can just sense in these days that we've been with you talking about these things and expounding these things. I, I'm, I'm speaking honor and I hear honor answering out of you. A, a return. The Bible says deep calls into deep. Do you know, that's what happened with David and Jonathan. Why the bond became like that with them and they made covenant. I mean, right after that incident with David and Goliath, the Bible said Jonathan saw him and, you know, they, they spoke and they exchanged uh, tokens of covenant. And what, what was it that, that moved him so about David? It wasn't just courage. It wasn't just bravery. You can be brave and fearless and be base. I mean, there's some outlaws that's brave. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't it. It was when he saw him stand out there and say, you know, dare you de defy the Almighty and stand up for the honor of God. And he saw him stand up there before his father with that giant's head in his hand and go, I'm the son of, de of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And stand there in the honor of God and glorifying God. Man, that spoke to his heart deep down inside him. And he thought, that's a man after my own heart. Honor calls to honor. And so this woman obviously was a woman of honor. Because when she saw this man of God, she recognized the value of him. You understand? That's what honor is all about, recognizing value. She saw his value and his worth, and she told her husband, this is a real man of God. You know, sometimes people are, they have romantic ideas about what real men and women of God are. And they're always waiting for somebody that's not human. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And don't see people that's in front of them. Sometimes people have to be dead and gone before they're appreciated. And then folk will jump up and write books about them and go, oh man, they were a man of God. They were a woman of God. And yet folk treated them like they were just common while they were around them. But the person of honor will recognize honor now. 
They can see it behind a veil of flesh. They can even see it behind lack of knowledge and mistakes. They can see it. This woman said, this man's a real man of God. Let's do something for him. Let's, let's confer some things on him. Let's, let's build a place for him. Let's, let's give him furniture. Let's make him a sanctuary. Let's treat him like he's special. Let's make a big deal out of it. Let's honor him. So he came. It's amazing how people gravitate to where they're appreciated. You know the Holy Ghost is that way? He will show up so much more where he's appreciated than where he's not. If you go on and on about the, oh, the Holy Ghost, you're so wonderful. Oh, you're so amazing. And I don't mean vain flattery. You mean it. Oh, God, we love you here. We love you. Any, anything you want to do, we want to see it. Anything, we want, we're ready. Here we are. You're it. Well, he likes that. He responds to that. He'll manifest himself. Well, you know the story. They honored the man of God. And it wasn't too long after that until he's laying there across his bed one day and the Spirit of God prompts him, this woman has been careful concerning you. What's to be done for her? You know, you keep honoring God's people. Eventually, God just, he's got to do something for you. He's compelled. You cannot just do for his and do for his. It'll come to the point where he said, I've got to do something for them. Got to. They've honored me. They've honored me. They've honored me. What's he bound by his word? He's got to do. I've got to honor them. And you know the story. They, they got the child and, and praised God. But that wasn't the end of it. They got the thing their heart desired, the child. But you know later on, the child uh, died. And, and was restored and raised up. But then not only that, the prophet warned them of famine. And they left the country and missed all the bad times. And then when they came back in, God had it set up so that just the moment where she walked in to ask for her lands, uh, you know, the prophet's servant was in there telling about her. Had it set up. And when she walked in the door, he said, that's the woman right there. And the king said, give her back all of her lands. Make sure she got everything they produced. All the while she was gone, he honored her. I said, honored her. They honored the man of God. God honored them. Didn't he? When God honors you, you know it. Now when we talk about conferring, we're talking about giving something to somebody. And not just money and just things. This is as wide as can be. You can give people all manner of things. But this story, here in, in 2 Samuel 23, if you get a hold of this, this will absolutely change your perception. 2 Samuel 23 talks about David and his mighty men. How many know they knew about honor? That's the thing that made them so hard to defeat, made them unconquerable. They went out for the honor of God and they fought in the honor of God and in standing up for God's honor, honoring Him, He was bound to honor them with victory after victory. And the Bible tells us in verse 13, 2 Samuel 23, 13, it says, Three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. 
And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did uh, these three mighty men. And he goes on talking about the ones that were honorable and more honorable. I mean, this whole chapter is just full of honor. Many people today don't understand that, do they? They think, he did what? He poured it out? They would have been, they would have been offended. They would have said, I went out to all this trouble to do this, and you pour it out? That's because people don't understand honor. Get the picture now. The well of Bethlehem is an enemy-occupied territory. He's standing there and, and just probably thinking out loud. Looking over there, going, you know, I wish, wish somebody would give me a drink of water out of that well. The well of Bethlehem. It's supposed to be ours. I'm supposed to be able to drink there anytime I want to. And these guys overheard it. And they looked at each other and they said, the king wants a drink. The other guy said, let's get him one. And they had to break through enemy lines. No telling what happened. Got to the well. The other two are probably backing up with their swords while one guy's drawing. Got the water. Broke back through the enemy lines. Came back to David. He's still standing there. I don't know when this was. I'm sure it was probably some hours or longer. And uh, it's just miraculous. Just the hand of God <laughs> that they could do that. Three men get in and out of enemy territory through the lines twice. And one of them speaks up and says, O king... He says, yeah. You, you mentioned some water from Bethlehem's well. Yeah, I'd like to have some. O king handed him the pitcher. Step back. They probably got wounds on them, sweat, you know. They're standing there. He looks at these guys. He says, you, you got this out of the well. Bethlehem. Yes, sir. I'm sure probably tears welled up in his eyes. He says, oh, God. He said, I can't drink this. This is too precious. This is too valuable. This is like your lifeblood. He said, this is too valuable for me to consume. I'm going to give it to Jehovah. Pull the top off. Said, Lord, like the blood of these men, it's too precious to drink. I offer it to you. 
poured it out on the ground. Were these guys offended? No. David honored them beyond their wildest expectations. That he would count what they gave him too precious to consume. See, we live in a generation that doesn't understand that. See, people in our day, if they'd have been in David's shoes, they'd have said, you stupid guys, breaking through the line, you could have been killed. Risk your life for a quart of water? Stupid, stupid, stupid. Why? Because folk don't know about honor. And if they'd have been in the men's place, they could have said, don't you dare pour a drop of that out. We went to great lengths for you. No, that's people who don't understand honor. To show honor is to confer. They risked their life to give him something. He gave it to the Lord because it was so precious to him. You see, another example of great honor in, uh, in this same book. Hallelujah, y'all getting this, I can tell. Uh, well, you're, you're here close by, so before we go to this other one, in the 24th chapter. In the 24th chapter. You know that David had made a mistake in ordering the numbering of the people. Remember that? Commanded the census to be taken. God didn't tell him to do it. And he actually was warned by different ones close to him, don't, don't do this, why do you want to do this? But no, he had to do it. And you know the story how that afterwards judgment fell. Because of his sin, and mistake, and people were dying. Uh, you know, plague was sweeping through the people. The Lord showed him that he should go to Arana's threshing floor and offer a sacrifice there for mercy, for the destruction to be stopped. And I don't know if you realize this, but this spot is later where Solomon built the temple. It was a spot God had chosen long ago, but nobody knew it. It was just a threshing floor out there. How I many realize that not that long ago there was nothing out here but what, pasture or whatever? Right? God knew what would be out here. And uh, the Bible said that he came, and verse 18, let's begin reading. Gad came that day to David, and he said, Go up, rear an altar to the Lord in the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. The, the Lord told the prophet exactly where to do it. David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming out toward him, and Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face to the ground. You know, this is uh, deferring to. We talked about, the Bible says that you're to get up in the presence of the, the elderly. But you know, they did a lot of bowing in the Bible, didn't they? I'm not saying that we have to do that today, but if you don't do it in, in flesh, you ought to do it in spirit. Right? In heart, in soul. I mean, it's just a common thing. Before one of God's anointed, I mean, people hit the dirt. 
I mean his face to the ground. And Arana said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take, and offer up what seems good to him. Behold, here's oxen for burnt sacrifice, threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana as a king give to the king. And Arana said to the king, The Lord your God accept you. He's endeavoring to honor him, isn't he? I mean, this is, this is his place of business. These oxen he uses to run his, his meal and stuff. These threshing instruments to cut. And he says, uh, kill them. Sacrifice them. Break up the machinery. Use it for wood for the fire. Here it is. Use it. And uh, verse 24, note this now. The king said to Arana, no. But I will surely buy it you at a price. Now, First uh, Chronicles 21 says, I will buy it at the full price. No, no, I can't, I can't let you give this to me. I've got to pay you top dollar for it. Neither will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So he said the value of the gift is based on its value to, to the giver. If it's worth nothing to you, then you're not conferring honor. Are you with me? He said, I, I can't do that. I can't, it did not cost me anything. I'm supposed to give a legitimate sacrifice to the Lord here. I'm supposed to give him something that has some value to me. And it says he gave him 50 shekels here. It, that was just for uh, the, you know, the oxen and some threshing floor things. But if you look at the other account, it says 600 shekels of gold for the whole deal. I mean, he gave him some money. He said, I've got to pay you the full price. I've got to give you top dollar for this. Because I can't give that which costs me nothing and this be a, a real honoring sacrifice to God. So to confer, to show honor, means that you take something that is valuable to you to show what you count more valuable. You know, that's why God asks people at times for their Isaac. Would God ever ask you for your Isaac? He did Abraham, didn't he? What was more valuable to Abraham than Isaac? Nothing. He was rich, but, you know, one day he and God were talking. God says, you and I are in covenant. Abraham, yes, sir, and you've been good to me. Oh, thank you. And so everything that I have is yours. Yes, sir, glory to God. And everything you have is mine. Yes, sir, everything. You name it. You want something of mine? You got it. He said, give me Isaac. Isaac. You want Isaac. I want Isaac. And Abraham proved that nothing or no one was as valuable to him as God. He proved it. People talk it. He proved it. Right? As, as valuable as Isaac was to him, he proved it. Plus, you know, he had faith that according to the word that God gave him, if he did kill him and he was burnt to ashes, God had to raise him from the dead. Right. Amen? Amen? But he demonstrated by conferring and giving this gift of gifts. And, of course, you know the, 
the, the redemptive reality of it that it gave God the legal right to give what was most precious and valuable to Him. God has honored us, my friend. I said, God has honored us. What has He given to us? The unspeakable gift. I said, the unspeakable gift. Oh, how He's honored us. That's why Paul says in Romans, if God spared not His Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? People sometimes get to looking at a thing or an item and think, well, man, that cost X amount of money. wonder if God would give me one of those. If God would give you Jesus, He'll give you anything. The most expensive item on earth is nothing compared to Him. Silver and gold wouldn't touch the value of the precious blood. I want you to go with me back to another instance here. And I don't plan on keeping you too much longer. But what to me is a, a very great example of honor in the Word in this 11th chapter of the same Second Samuel. 2 Samuel 11. And it has to do with the warrior Uriah, husband of Bathsheba. You remember him? He is, in my esteem, one of the most honorable men mentioned in the Bible. One of, I said. Do you know that honor in a man or woman is stronger than desire? If you have enough of the honor of God in you, you, like we said, you know, part of being honorable is being self-controlled. And if you have enough of the honor of God in you, it will overpower the strongest of your personal desires. David, no, no doubt David, maybe he was even legitimately really physically thirsty. And yet, his honor was greater than his desire, wasn't it? Do you see what we're talking about? You see this so powerfully in this man. David is also one of the most honorable men in the Word of God. And if not for this situation in matter of Bathsheba, virtually a spotless record. But this is a dark blot on an otherwise crystal clean record. And it has everything to do with honor, as you'll see as we go on. The Bible said in chapter 11, 2 Samuel, I just want to read several verses here, 2 Samuel 11, 1. It came to pass, after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now understand this right now. David knew who Uriah was. Uriah is one of his leaders. 
in the military. Uriah is a, a lion-like man. You do not want to meet him on the battlefield. That's what we're talking about. You see Uriah and you're the enemy, go to the other side of the field. <laughs> and this is his wife. And David sent messengers and took her. She came into him and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. She returned to her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. This is a grievous mistake. And note this, no matter how, no matter what you know about honor, no matter how much of God you know, you still got flesh. And you start yielding to your flesh, you quit praying, quit feeding in your word, your flesh, the pull of it gets stronger and stronger as your spirit gets weaker and weaker. He's, he's up in the middle of the night walking around on top of the house. What's, you know, why, why's this going on? I mean, maybe he should have been out with his soldiers. Maybe he should have been doing something else. But he's up there wandering around and he sees this woman. She's beautiful. But if he wants a woman, he has scores of beautiful wives. He's the king. Yeah, but he wants this woman. See, ever since the garden, your flesh wants what it's not supposed to have. Notice that? Adam and Eve had fruit trees all over the place, right? They had God, they had fellowship, they had every need met. But you want that one. You watch little children. You can touch this, you can play with this, you can do this. Don't touch this. Leave this alone. Hands off. After a while, what will you see? They're looking at that. They forget. I mean, if you want them to be mesmerized with it, tell them, don't touch that. Leave that alone. What is that? That's the flesh. And we must be honorable enough to override that. Well, you know the story. David sent to Joab, and he said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went down, went not down to his house. When they had told David, they said, Uriah went not down to his house. David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from your journey? Why then didst thou not go down to thine house? Now listen and learn from honor. Uriah said to David, The ark, Israel, Judah, abide in tents. My lord Joab, the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house, eat and drink, and lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Think about that. Here's a man's been out in the battle. He's been out in the field. Sleeping in the cold. And, you know, rough conditions. He's just a block or two from his house. And his bed. And his beautiful wife. But his honor won't let him go. See, that's foreign to our generation, isn't it? 
In our society today, what would his wife have thought? You're not coming home. So I'm just saying that to show you how far we are from what God intended. An honorable woman would understand. Are you with me? I mean, we, we live in a soft generation. I've counseled with people over my desk and the husbands and wives are about to leave each other because this one had to stay gone a few days or this one had to do this or this. I mean, a few years ago, there were people left their families and got on boats and went to China to be missionaries for years. And everybody understood it was hard, but they understood the honor in the work of God. Now we've got people that, they, they, you know, can't sacrifice anything, can't be apart for a few days, can't experience any inconvenience, or it's not right. You know what I'm talking about. I read in some of uh, Dr. John Lake's writings, I don't know if this is published or not, but he, uh, it tells about during the time of their work in Africa, that somebody, I don't know exactly how it worked, but somebody lied on him here in the States. Told lies about him and his operation, and the lies were effective enough that people quit supporting him. And I mean, it just went on and went on until he's, he doesn't have, he and his wife, they sold their furniture, they sold what they had, they sacrificed. See, honorable people are willing to sacrifice. They'd liquidate their assets and pour And finally, he's got nothing. And it's not coming in. So he took what little he had. And he, he went to Africa and called all of his people in from the field for a meeting. And he sat down with them and he told them what was going on. And how that the money just was not there. And he could not support them. He had nothing he could send to them. Couldn't even send them money for food. Nothing. And that he wanted them to, you know, to come in. And they said, uh, well, sir, would you, uh, would you step out just a minute, please, and let us confer among ourselves before we give you our answer. So he did. They talked among themselves. They got families out there, kids out there. And he comes back in, and one stood up representing the rest of them, and he said, he said well, sir, we have decided to stay. And he said, you, you understand, I can't send you anything, not even food, food money. And he said, yes, sir. He said, you understand, you could starve to death. You could die out here. He said, yes, sir, we know. All we ask is, if we do, if you'd preach our funeral. He said, I'll do it. He said, over the next year or so, he preached, what was it, 12 or so of them's funeral. They died just from not having enough to eat. That's honor. I said, that's honor. I tell you something else. Somebody's going to answer for that. Whoever lied on him, 
He might as well have taken the gun and put it to those folks' head and shot them. And people that lie and deceive and hurt ministries and hurt the work of God today and cause somebody to come up short here or there, they will answer for it. But I'm talking about honor. It runs deeper than a man or a woman's desire. Runs stronger than your desire for the opposite sex. Stronger than your desire for food. Stronger than your desire for water. A desire to honor God. A desire to do what you can do. To honor Him and bless Him and you know, complete His will. If you die doing it. Now, maybe they didn't know some things about believing God. And His provision that we've learned. Thank God. But you can't speak ill of their honor. Uriah, you know, he's there and he said, I, 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 can't, I can't go home. I can't eat at my house. I, my Lord Joab, Israelite soldiers are out in the field sleeping. It's not time for me to be in. I'm, I'm here on business. I do my business, I go back. He's thinking, when I come home, the battle's over. Then I'll go, go to my house. I'll, I'll eat. I'll enjoy my marriage and my house and my things. David said to Uriah, verse 12, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and made him drunk. He kept pouring the wine to him and handing him wine until he just drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. An honorable man is honorable if he's drunk. Do you get that? See, a lot of people, you know, in, even in the world, they talk about, well, you know, I had a few too many drinks, and they just acted base and ignored. Well, they just use that as an excuse. Uriah's so drunk, he probably couldn't hardly find his bed. But they said, you know, see, David is trying to get him to go home so that when Bathsheba comes up pregnant, he said, well, it's his. But he staggers, no doubt some of the servants are trying to get, well, go on down to your house, and he's drunk. He says, oh, no, 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 where's the mat? <laughs> well, the king wants you to go in your house. I'm not going to my house. <laughs> so they laid him down. He went off to sleep. Verse 14, it came to pass in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. Get this now. He wrote in the letter, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he might be smitten and die. It came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that valiant men of the enemy, you see, would be. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Get this. This man is such an honorable man, and so faithful and so loyal to David and to his God, he won't go to his house. He won't enjoy the pleasures of his own home and his bed and his wife and his meals because he's, he's on warrior business right now. It's not time for that. 
And the king puts his death warrant in his hand. And he knows this man is such an honorable man that there's no way Uriah is going to read that. Do you get that? He knows. He rolls it up. He puts his seal on it. And he knows there's not a chance this man is going to try to see what's in here because he knows what kind of man he is. Uriah comes back to the battle, comes to his, you know, superior officer Joab and hands him that. Steps back. Joab reads it. Looks at him. He says, okay, that's all for now. David's going through torment. Bathsheba's going through torment. Joab's having some torment. But Uriah is clear. Do you see this? Someone said, yeah, but he died. He died a man. He died a man of God. He died with honor. Everybody's going to die. Nobody lives forever. It's not just how long you die, how long you live. It's how you live. Next day, Joab assigned Uriah to the place of the hottest action. And he's counting on his people being there to back him up. He tells him, Uriah, I want this place charged. And I mean, I don't want you to look back. I don't want you to take a step. Do you understand me? There's no surrender on this area. He said, yes, sir. No surrender. He charged. When he got in the thick of it, his troop pulled out on him. Left him there by himself. Historians tell us, that when they found Uriah, they found scores of dead bodies around him. He died a man. He died a warrior. He died with honor. And it's over for him. He's gone to rest. He's in Abraham's bosom with his honor intact. But then right after that, Nathan was sent to David told him the story about the man that had all the sheep and stole the other man's pet lamb. David said, that man's a saint worthy of dying. He said, you're the man. David did have enough honor. He repented. He humbled himself. He said, oh God, what have I done? And the Lord said, listen to it in 2 Samuel 12, 7. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given you unto these such and such things. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? To do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your wife. You've slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. But I'm telling you this is all about honor. You might say well I, th I thought it was so much about faith. That's saying the same thing. Jesus said on one occasion, He said, How can you believe that seek honor one from another and don't seek the honor that comes from God only? 
He said, you can't even believe unless you seek the honor that comes from God. I can see it in your eyes. You've been stirred. Not by me, by the Word. By the Spirit of God. The real key here now is will you just slip back into every old way of thinking tomorrow? Will you get out and go and get in your car and forget about it? Or will you see David pouring out that water tomorrow? Will you see Uriah going back down and sleeping on the mat? Will you see it? And will it cause you to stir up and overcome your desires and overcome your feelings be willing to sacrifice, stand up and honor the real God quality honor of God. I'm telling you, surely as you do, He's faithful. He will honor you. Things will happen for you that never happened for you. People will see you differently than they've ever seen you. It won't just be, oh, so-and-so. It'll be Mr. So-and-so. It'll be people look at you twice and go, you've changed. People will know that you're faithful. They can put something in your hands, confidential, they know there's no way you're going to look at it. They can sign you something and you know there's no way you're backing off. If you're right, you have to do it by yourself and have to die trying. That's just who you are. That's what you are. Jesus went straight to the cross. He let them lay him down. He let them nail him. He could have cried out at any minute and been delivered, but he wouldn't. He hung there. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. Why? The glory that he saw ahead the honor of God. In, in, in the prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross, he talked about the glory that I've had with you. He wanted us to, he had give, given us this glory. He wants us to walk in this glory and this honor. And not just then, but start now. One of these days, right now we know our, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the devil and his cohorts. But one of these days, one is going to come forth riding on a white horse. Hallelujah. With eyes like fire. Hallelujah. Amen. And on his thigh it's written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And there were many that followed him. Hallelujah. Robed in linen, white and clean. Righteousness. Who is that? That's us. I'm going to be back there. Glory to God. I ride with the King. The days of honor are not past. And so, yeah, but we live in a high-tech, this, that society. Nothing has changed that matters. And I believe you and I are in and will witness a great restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Of the honor of God and of the glory of God. 
And as we honor Him and glorify Him, without a doubt, He will manifest Himself to us. He will honor us. He will actually let us share in the experience of His tangible glory. God is so honorable just within Himself that He radiates glory. His intrinsic value and worth is so great that to behold Him, you see His glory and honor. It emanates from Him. In fact, it's so great, no man can look at the Father's face and continue to be mortal. That's how honorable He is. Him being so honorable, all of His ought to be honorable. Like Father, like Son. Amen? Amen. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. We live in a world of liars. We live in a world of deceivers. We live in a world of people who cheapen things and disregard and dishonor. We're in it, but we're not of it. I said we're not of it. On the job, in the street, everywhere, hold the standard high. And if people want to mock and ridicule, don't get involved. If they ostracize you, well, so be it. But stand up for what's right. Stand up for honor. If they want you to lie and go along with them, you cannot. I said you cannot. Compromise is what you are. You can't. You can't. Because we love God and we love His honor. Close your eyes. Let me pray over. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your goodness. What a wonderful God you are. And Lord, I know, I just sense in my spirit, we know so little about this. Thank you for the, the things you've let us see. But I know it's just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a, a glimpse For you are too glorious and too honorable for words. But Lord, what we don't understand with our minds, help us to touch with our spirit. And to be touched in our spirit of it. And Lord, help us to lift up our eyes and not be pulled down by the baseness and crudeness and commonness and uncleanness of the world in which we live but to show forth the honor and the glory of God in our countenance, in our words, in everything we say, in everything we do, and that we walk in a manner worthy of you, and we act in a manner honoring you, and as befits one so great who has been so gracious to us. Let these truths come again and again to minds and ears and hearts here. Bring to the remembrance, the sense, the touch, the manifestation of honor again, 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 until as we behold, like in a mirror, the glory of God, we are changed, transformed into that image we see. And we say again, get glory to yourself. Get glory to yourself in us now and always for your worthy in Jesus' name.
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.